If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. As you turn there, let me remind you that we're in our fourth week of a series going through our core beliefs at First Baptist Church. Uh, We have, uh, I think, 18 different articles, somewhere around 18, 20 different articles of beliefs. Some of them have sub-points underneath them. Long, multi-page document that is well worth investigating, studying, and, and reading and looking into. Not only does it have a statement of our beliefs, but it also has Scripture to back up why we believe what we believe. But that is multiple pages. We have summed up our beliefs with six core beliefs. You can find these core beliefs as well as the 18 article document on our website, fbcrobinson.com slash beliefs. If you go there, you'll see these six core doctrines and then also a link to the lengthier article. Uh, Again, let me encourage you to take on your own time to look through that at what we believe at First Baptist Church. Let me sum up for you our six core beliefs again. That way we're all on the same page with what we at First Baptist believe. It starts with the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. We believe the Bible is actually God's Word. Secondly, we believe that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. had a conversation with someone just this week about this very issue, about how other religions may provide uh, good works and may allow someone to have a good moral character. And I explained to them, based on Scripture, why salvation is not found any other place. It is only found, not in works, not in another God, but only through Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about God being eternally perfect. He is alone eternal and alone perfect. Uh, We also believe, uh, fourthly, that man, that is you and I, humanity, is created in God's image. Fifth, we believe that the church, as we're gathered together, exists for the purpose of serving. And we'll look at that next week. And finally, Jesus Christ will return talking about what we believe at the end of this earth age. This morning, we're looking specifically at this fourth point. Man is created in God's image. And much like the first three doctrinal summaries, we cannot possibly unpack everything there is to unpack about what it means to be made in the image of God. And so this morning, we're going to kind of do a a brief not even a summary, but maybe just talk about a portion of what we believe with man being created in God's image. And we're going to find that in Genesis chapter 2, primarily verses 5 through 25. Uh, A couple other places we may jump to, Genesis 1, a passage uh, in Ephesians as well, uh, but basically we'll be primarily in Genesis chapter 2. I like this phrase, made that way. I, I know that the current lingo for our culture is born that way, but and that's not wrong. I, I like the phrase made that way. I think it better communicates what we're talking about. There's a difference between how we're made and how we're born. And it's very important to understand this distinction about how we were created to be and how we actually are born. You see, God created man not just as a part of his creation, but as the crowning work of his creation. Here's what I mean by that. God looked at everything he had made, and it was very good. But there was only one thing that he bestowed the image of himself on, and that was humanity. Above all else, man is important to God. 
And it's important that we understand we are made in the image of God. The way we were created was perfect. The way we were created was to to bear God's image to the rest of creation. So that when the rest of creation looks at humanity, they see a glimpse of God. We were made in the image of God. This is important for us to realize because it makes us different from the rest of creation. There's a reason why it's okay to eat a cow and it's not okay to eat a person, right? There's a reason why, why we, we want to take care of humanely people. And while we care about animals, there are not laws that are as strict in humanely dealing with animals. There are reasons why we as a church and I as a Christian believe that the death of an animal in the womb is sad, but the death of a human in the womb is murder. There's a reason why we make a distinction between the rest of creation. It's because we are created to bear God's image. Boy, there is so much that that entails. And this morning, we're going to look at a few ways that we bear God's image and how it goes often counter to what the culture tries to tell us. Let's begin just by looking at the creation of humanity. Genesis chapter 1 gives us a brief overview of the creation of the entire universe. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's a summary for all of creation. Then Genesis uh, chapter 1 verse 2 through the rest of chapter 1 gives us a synopsis of what that verse 1 contains. So you can almost look at it as, here's Genesis 1.1, underneath it is the rest of Genesis chapter 1 that's explaining that, six days of creation and a seventh day of rest. And then Genesis chapter 2 zooms in again. And in Genesis chapter 2 we see specifically how God made people. Notice we don't have the specifics of how God made any other creature, plant, or created thing. But God gives us a special focus and a special attention to how man is created and what his purpose is. Let's read Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 through 25. You can follow along in the screen or with your copy of God's word. It says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. So when there was no plant to be found in the garden specifically, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature." Now, before we go any further, this is amazing to me how God created us. If you ever wonder, am I special? You can read Genesis chapter 2 and see very clearly that when God creates everything in chapter 1, He speaks it and they come into existence. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be creatures in the sky and in the waters, and there were creatures in the sky and in the waters. God spoke with His lips And stars were literally bursting forth. But with man, he creates him intentionally. Instead of just speaking man into existence, God forms him with the dust. He uses his hands to create and make him. And then he doesn't just speak, he breathes life into him. This is why we have a spirit, by the way. 
If you've ever wondered what what distinguishes us from the animal world, is they don't have the breath of God in them. They don't have that same eternal spirit that God gave to people. God uses his hands and formed you, formed Adam, and breathes life directly into us. We see God created us special. Let's continue reading. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold that is in the land is good. Uh, uh, Bedelium and Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. The whole point of the rivers is that God created this land fertile. Okay? Don't get lost in the names of places. Understand that God is giving us the specifics of where this garden is and made it perfectly suitable for man. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Again, God is providing everything Adam needs and every instruction that he needs. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. He, uh, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, uh, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Ladies, if you ever think that you were not created special... If we ever ask ourselves, did God intentionally make us unique? We can read Genesis chapter 2 and see that when God formed woman, he did it because man was incomplete. He did it because he saw the creation that he had made and in his infinite wisdom knew that man needed someone. And so he took a rib close to man's heart and he forms a fashions a woman specifically suited for Adam. This is a unique and special creation that God has made. We continue to read about God's special creation. Then man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed as we read Genesis chapter 2 there are a lot of details 
that we can cling to and hold to. We could actually do an entire sermon series on Genesis chapter 2 alone and the creation of humanity. It is a beautiful picture of how God cares uniquely for humanity. But this morning, I want to look at three ways that God has made us and how it sets us apart, not only from creation, but how these beliefs set us apart from our fallen culture at large. You see, the problem is God made us perfect, but we are not born perfect, are we? God made us in His image, and we still bear that image, but we have lost some of our ability to reflect God's goodness because of sin. When we talk about being made that way, it is that God specifically created us with a purpose and with meaning, but we are born outside of that purpose and that meaning. We don't say born that way to mean how God intended us to be. We say born that way to reflect that we are fallen creatures and that we are imperfect people. We say we are born that way to reflect that we bear sin from the day we are conceived. I've said this before, I I love my children more than I love your children by far, okay? And I love kids, but I love my children the most. Every single one of your children, and I know all three of my children, were born little sinners. I know this. I've experienced it firsthand. By the way, Josiah is 18 months old last week. A year and a half, right? He's still too young to really understand everything, or so we would think. Except he knows that two-letter word he hears more than anything else, right? No. I'd probably wake him up by saying that. He thinks that's his name. So here's what he does. He likes to go push buttons on the, VC, or the DVD player. So he, he'll push a button, and we'll tell him, no, don't do that, right? Well, he'll kind of shy away a little bit until I go and sit back down and when he goes over and he wants to do what? Push a button on the DVD player. Well, he's gotten to where he knows he's not supposed to do that. He's been pulled away. His little hand has been smacked. It breaks my little heart to go, no, Josiah, don't do that. You know, and he gets all upset. So this is what he does now. This is how we know he was born a little sinner, right? He goes up to the DVD player. He looks back over his shoulder. He grins and he taps the button, and he takes off running. Every single time. Why? Because at 18 months old, he is still a little sinner, just like the rest of us. We were made perfect. We were made to reflect God's perfect image, but we are not born that way. This morning, I want to remind us that although we were born into sin, that's not how God made you. God has something so much greater for you. God created you to be something so much more than the way we were born. We were born rebellious individuals. We've heard the word no since the day we were able to hear and listen. And yet, God has a plan of redemption to bring us out of the way we were born and restore us to the way we were made. Let's look at three ways that God made us And it's important for us to see how this differs from what the culture tells us we were born like. First of all, God made man to have responsibility. God made man to be responsible creatures. Let me put this in another way. God created you to work. Work and responsibility is not part of our sinful fallen condition. That is the way you were made. 
Now, I don't want you to raise your hands, I don't want you to point a finger, and I don't want you to turn your head and stare at someone. But how many of you in here say, by nature, I am lazy at heart, right? A few hands went up, I told you not to do that. See how sinful you are, right? At heart, aren't all of us of the mindset, and here's the way we like to phrase it, to sugarcoat it, we want to be efficient, right? Get as much work done with doing as little work as possible. You know what that means? We want to be lazy. (laughs) We want to do as little as we can do and still get by. That is not how God created you. God created Adam and Eve to be responsible people. He gave them work from the very beginning. And work to enjoy. Look at Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. This is before Adam has sinned. He is perfect. And the work that God gives him is perfect work. God says, Adam, you have a responsibility. Now, our culture tells us the opposite. Our culture tells us that we must get by with as little as possible. You are entitled to everything, and you don't have to work to have that entitlement. We have a whole generation of people who... who, are labeled with this entitlement label. But can I say, it's not a millennial problem. It's a humanity problem. Okay, you can blame a generation, but you know what? I have seen firsthand 60, 70, and 80-year-old men who believe that they should have things simply because they should have things. It was a problem for us 50 years ago. It was a problem for us 500 years ago. It was a problem for us the moment we fell. We decided we don't want responsibility. This morning, our Sunday school lesson in our Cornerstone class was about the fall of Adam and Eve, how they sinned, and and immediately in their sin, Adam abandons the way God made him. God made him responsible But when God looks at Adam and says, what have you done? Adam says, it's not my fault. It was this woman that you gave me, God. He blames not only his wife, but he blames God himself. God, you gave her to me, and look what she did. Immediately, Adam experiences what we're born into, and that is to shy away from responsibility. Ephesians 6 Uh, tells us uh, about uh, uh, instructions on how we are to carry ourselves and work among others. And specifically in Ephesians 6, Paul is writing to slaves. Now, I, I don't want to be confusing here. The Bible does not advocate slavery. As a matter of fact, God makes very clear a path and a plan to redeem slaves and to free people. However, In this culture, slavery was a part of reality, and Paul writes for how slaves are to interact with their masters. Not because slavery is God's will, but because it's a reality, and we must live godly lives even in a fallen world. And in writing to how slaves should interact with their masters, listen to what he says in verse 7, Ephesians 6, 7. He tells slaves to render service with a good will, not as to the Lord, or or as to the Lord, and not to man. In other words, as you are serving your master, you are to do it to the glory of God, not to the glory of man. 
You are to work not to get by with what your boss says, but you are to work as if you are doing everything for the glory of God. Now, does this apply to us today? How many of you all, don't raise your hand, don't point, don't look to the side, don't be sinful, okay? How many of you all would say, I feel like my job, sometimes it's a slavery type position. I'm just slaving away. That's not to compare our work to slavery. It's not near as bad. However, we have responsibilities. How many of us want to do just enough to appease the boss? How many of us just want to check off the list and get done what we have to get done so we can go home at the end of the day? Paul writes and says, don't act that way. What you do, how you work, the responsibility you're given, don't do it to appease a man. Do it because you are created to work. God made you to be responsible and work hard because God made you that way. In all of eternity, when we are in heaven, if we have our faith and trust in Jesus Christ on this earth, we spend all of eternity in heaven, what will we be doing? I promise you, we will not be standing around in robes, clasping our hands and singing the hallelujah chorus day in and day out. There are beings in Revelation that were created for that purpose. You and I were not created for that. We will be working. We will have a job. We will have a responsibility. Because God created you in his perfect will to have responsibility and to work. Secondly, God gave us responsibility, but he also gave us authority. God made man to have authority. We are the crowning work of his creation. We have authority and rule over the entire earth. We are entrusted to take care of the earth, but also to have dominion over the earth. Genesis chapter 1 gives us the broad picture of creation. And once God has created everything, it says he creates man. And in verse 26, look at the snapshot of this creation of man. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over fish of the sea and over birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This word dominion is the same word that we would use for dominate. However, the connotation is not the same. The word dominion doesn't mean we are to abuse the creation, but instead we are to rule and reign over it. Now, all throughout history, there have been good kings and there have been bad kings. There have been kings who, who cared for their people and there are kings who, who abused their power and their authority. And if you looked at the king wrong, it was off with your head. You know, there are people who have rule and reign and authority over this earth who are good rulers and there are people who are bad rulers. God did not create us to abuse creation, but he did create us to subdue it and have authority over it. We are to care for it, but we are to use it. That's why David writes to us in Psalm 8, 6, you have given him, man, dominion, over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Our culture tells us that we are on par with the rest of creation. Save the whales. By the way, I'm all for saving the whales. Save the seal. I'm all for saving the seal. Save the spotted owl. I'm all for saving the spotted owl. But it, it drives me crazy that we would elevate a created work such as a, a whale or a seal or a spotted owl or whatever animal you want to fill in the blank 
and we would abandon our calling to protect an unborn child. We have taken our authority and we have thrown it away. We have decided that it is animals who really have more importance than us. Listen, I'm all for humanely treating this creation. It is a sin to abuse animals. Can we make that very clear? But I am also all for eating the delicious ones. Okay? I really, really am. Because God has, after the flood, given them to us for food. We have rule and reign over them. Have you ever wondered why we wear clothes? By the way, I'm thankful you do wear clothes. But we are the only animal that I'm aware of. Take that back. There are some animals that create coverings for themselves. But for the most part, animals are naked. We have clothing. Why is that? Well, because after the fall, human beings realized the shame and nakedness, and God killed an animal to provide them fur. Do you ever wonder why God didn't kill a man to provide covering for animals? Because we have rule and reign. We have dominion. There is a responsibility to care for the earth. We should be as environmentally conscious as anyone on the planet as Christians because we have that responsibility. But we should not be so environmentally conscious to to allow the detriment of humanity to suffer. But we should not put the needs of the environment ahead of the needs of humanity because God created us to use, enjoy, and subdue the earth. Now, I am a green pastor Not in the sense that I I feel like we should only be using green politically projects, but I believe in preserving and taking care of this planet. I really, really do. But I will never, ever look at how God made me and subject myself to this planet because God made man to have authority. God made man to be the chief capstone of his creation. And God created you to have a responsibility over the earth and to have dominion over the earth. You were created special. Uh, the, the last way that God made us that we're going to share this morning uh, really almost became the sermon in and of itself, and that is God made man to have relationships. I couldn't skip over the responsibility and the authority of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, uh, but I really believe the best way we reflect the image of God is the way we relate to other people is the way God created us to care and love for each other. And it is seen vividly in Genesis chapter 2 with the way God created man and woman. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Do you think that God looked at his creation and thought, oh, I can't believe I forgot something. I've got uh, two dogs and I've got two cats and I've got, which is two cats too many, and I've got two camels and I've got two sheep and, oh, I forgot to make a second human being. No, God in his infinite wisdom wanted man to realize he was incomplete without a woman. Because unlike the rest of creation, God created humanity to have a relationship. And he needed a helpmate. He needed someone to to be alongside of him because God created man relationally. 
It's not good for man to be alone. Therefore, God creates a woman to have a relationship with the man. God made us specifically male and female. God made us specifically to have a marriage partnership. God made us specifically to have romantic feelings for the opposite sex. God made us to reflect His image the way we relate to others. Our culture tells us that that our gender is unimportant. Our culture tells us that, that how we are born is different from how we are made. And we should embrace how we are born. Remember, the way we are born is a propensity to sin. The way we are born is a a desire to do what we want. And so inwardly, we desire to abandon gender standards, desire to abandon the way God created us. And I will say, I think it's a perfectly appropriate description to say, yes, we were born that way. All of us were born with a propensity to sin in one way or another. But we were not made distinct from relationships with others. We were not made to be individuals. We were made to have a helpmate. In Genesis 2, verse 24 and 25, we can see a little clearer exactly what happens when a man that God creates and a woman that God creates come together. And in Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, we read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Then it says, The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was an intimate relationship we see here. By the way, I've often wondered, Adam and Eve did not have to leave their mother and father. This was not written for Adam and Eve. This was written for you and I. There's a time when we have such a strong relationship with someone of the opposite sex who God created for us that we abandon all other relationships and pursue it. What a picture of the image of God. Can you think of a time that God abandoned a relationship with someone He loved, set it aside and forsook it so that He could pursue a relationship with someone else? I love the picture of God the Father sending His Son Jesus Christ letting Him face death on a cross we see that God the Father forsakes God the Son when the Son cries out my God, my God why have you forsaken me and leaving that relationship behind, setting it aside He pursues a relationship with humanity We bear God's image with the way we are made. How God created us unique. How God made us to relate to others. We bear God's image in the way we love. And this morning, let me tell you, that is not just an image we see here on earth, but that is an image that we see that carries on to your relationship with the Father. Do you have that personal relationship with God the Father? Have you understood that he has forsaken all other loves? In that moment on the cross, he turns his back even on his own son to pursue you. 
God does not do that for animals. God does not do that for created things other than humanity. And God has done that for you. This morning as we close, we're going to have a time of invitation. I would invite you to to ask yourself, do I have that personal relationship that God made me to have? Do I have that relationship with God the Father because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much that you have made us in your image. Lord, we are special. We are different from the rest of creation. God, I thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your love. We thank you for giving us responsibility, for giving us authority, and Lord, for giving us relationships. Lord, we pray this morning that each one of us would examine our our own hearts to know whether we have found that relationship with you. Lord, we pray that you would show us how we can know you, how we can trust you as Savior and Lord. And Lord, restore us to being how we were made and created. It's in your name we pray.